0: This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. This week's sermon is by Pastor Matt Woodley and Deacon Val McIntyre and is part four of our summer series, Growing Together in God's Household. I'm Matt Woodley, and I'm the missions pastor here at Church of the Resurrection.
1: And I'm Valerie McIntyre, and I am the pastor of Healing Ministries at Church of the Resurrection.
0: And we are preaching this sermon together as a team. So um, this is uh, the passage you heard from 1 Timothy. We're going through the book of 1 Timothy. We're not skipping anything. It is a very difficult passage, and it's passages like this that make some people mock and discredit the whole witness of Scripture. If that's what the Bible teaches, pff, I'm not going to have anything to do with it.
1: Uh, you might have even found as the text was being read that when we came to the end and the reader said, the word of the Lord… Uh, it, maybe it was even hard to even say thanks be to God because of the um, anxiety um, and fear and anger that this passage evokes in many people.
0: Let's tell you just a little bit about our background, really briefly. So, my church background: I came to know Christ when I was about 16. Went to a uh, Bible church, a mega church in Minneapolis area, and it was a great church in a lot of ways. Taught me a lot about the Bible. Taught me a lot about Christian community. There was a a few dark sides. One of them was that um, it was incredibly restrictive to women in any kind of leadership position, even ushering, even distributing communion, um, let alone teaching, preaching, leading worship. So it was very restrictive. And then after that, I was part of a Christian community that basically seemed to think there was basically no difference between men and women, um, no special roles. And so I've had to do a lot of unlearning um, and relearning uh, around this issue.
1: Um, my experience is a little different. I also uh, became a Christian as a, as a teenager, but in all the churches that I've uh, been a part of, with one exception, um, women have been, they, they have been less visible in, worship, in leadership, but they have always been there. So maybe they only preached uh, two or three times a year, but they were there. So I saw them visible in leadership um, all the time and, of course, have enjoyed uh, great freedom as a woman. Um, leader here, both as an unordained person and as a deacon at Church of the Resurrection.
0: And you want to talk about a few disclaimers? Yes, just just,
1: just a a couple of things. First of all, um, there is so much background here, and we could give you, like, hours on background. We're going to have to really cut that short. And there also may be some passages of Scripture that um, you wish we would say more about, So we just want to acknowledge the limitation of our time here, that there's so much more to be said than we can actually say.
0: Yeah, but we try to be faithful to this biblical text, and we're going to do four things with sort of four-point outline. We're going to look at what we're calling the big story of the Bible, because the best way to interpret the Bible is with the Bible, and we're going to cover that with like one or two really broad strokes. Um, Then we're going to look at what we call the local story. And that is, what was going on locally in the city of Ephesus when Paul wrote this letter to 1 Timothy? What particular problem was he addressing? And then the third thing is the authoritative teaching. So what is the authoritative teaching on that scripture to that particular issue? What was going on? And then fourth, we're going to look at our story, or how does this apply to us? And uh, let me just start with just, again, a really broad stroke about the big story. We see in the Bible actually a really affirming view of the dignity and calling of both men and women as male and female, different and yet together. Uh, Jesus treated women with respect, incredible respect, as we saw in our gospel passage. The thing that really surprised us, though, as we began to do research on the background of this was Jesus is often pitted against Paul, so Jesus was really nice to women, and Paul was really mean to women and really restrictive, and we saw that 's actually not the case in paul 's ministry practice. Um, we did see in chapter three of this passage, the role of bishop we, we see was something that seems to be reserved for men, but aside from that, women in the ministry of Paul are evangelists they 're apostles they 're uh, teachers, they ran businesses, they headed households, they were encouraged to pray and prophesy publicly in church services so You take this kind of a a very inclusive view, and then this passage seems kind of jarring. It doesn't seem to really fit with that sort of broader picture, which leads to really understanding the local story.
1: Um, Just a little bit about um, Ephesus. This particular setting is unusual because this is really a very important cosmopolitan place in the ancient world. So the city of Ephesus is a place where women actually have an unusual amount of freedom to um, to lead, both in their uh, pagan uh, religious um, center, uh, the Temple of Artemis, which was a huge thing in the ancient world, and they were also there's many fascinating inscriptions that describe women who are leading in various civic capacities as well, and they tend to be more educated. So Paul is here addressing uh, women who perhaps are a little bit different. Um, than we find in a lot of the ancient world.
0: Yeah, they're probably women of wealth as well because you don't tell poor women, don't dress up with uh, expensive jewelry and expensive hairstyles. And so, what some New Testament scholars believe, and Val and I found this, this line of the local story really compelling, um, is that um, you can imagine some of these women, high influence women, coming in from um, non-Christian backgrounds into the church and um, the problem was that these women, as well as some of the men as, as well, and the men will be addressed in different issues, but they weren't bothering to sit under the apostolic teaching and learn first. So um, to learn proper doctrine, to, learn, to discern truth from error, but, um, so keep that in mind as we work through this passage because that local story is going to be really important as we work through this passage.
1: Uh, Let me mention just one other thing. We're in a season of what's often called contested Christianity, so they do not have the creeds. They haven't had the ecumenical councils. They don't even have the full text of Scripture yet. So this is a time where Paul has to be very careful about guarding what's being taught in the church from pollution um, and mixtures that come from outside um, the church in order to be faithful to the apostolic teaching.
0: So if you turn in your uh, bulletin to to the passage itself, now we're going to start walking through this verse by verse, and uh, Val's going to start with uh, verses 8 through 10.
1: Um, This is a fascinating um, beginning in that the text begins with a word uh, for men. I want to speak to this particular um, cultural context here. If you're familiar at all with the Near East, there is a way of engaging um, truth through debate. So even today, if you um, step into a more orthodox, traditional a Jewish setting or into a um, Islamic setting, because both of them have cultures that come from the Near East, there is this, this way that there's a whole lot of arguing that goes on. Uh, Matt mentioned a little uh, saying that he heard in Long, in Long Island, if there's two rabbis in a room, there's seven opinions. So this is the. This I heard is, that
0: from a Jewish follower of Jesus, by the way. So, um, yeah.
1: So this is the kind of argumentative, like, way of relating that Paul is speaking into. Paul is saying, actually, when we think about the truth, we come with a different attitude. We don't come um, trying to persuade or win through argumentation to prove who's best by who argues mm. the most clearly. He's saying to men. I don't want to hear the quarreling. I don't want to hear the arguing. I need for you also to come with an attitude of tenderness, of submission, of openness to the apostles' teaching. And this raising of the hands is this beautiful um, indicator of our openness, of our submission, of our tenderness uh, towards God, which is true for men, but also for women. Yeah.
0: And then did you want to mention verse… 10? Yes, verse nine, 10. 10. Yeah. Uh,
1: women. This is very interesting. Um, if you have in mind that these are wealthy women who, in order to have your hair like this, apparently you needed um, a slave or a servant even to get it mm. worked up like this. So you have to understand to begin with, uh, these women coming into usually house churches, it would be um, kind of a, this big hair thing w- would be really distracting. And it would also be a way of almost flaunting one's wealth. Or if you imagine the loss of status that these women have experienced, and I mean the good kind of loss of status that happens when we follow Jesus. They have gone from, imagine a um, teacher in the temple of Artemis, where she has been considered an authority, she's a very good public speaker, she comes to Christ where everything is level. She no longer has any clout in this situation. It is that human tendency we have to sort of dress to impress, to say, you know what, I am somebody, and I have something to offer here. Paul's saying, oh, you do, of course, have something to offer. But it is this gentleness, this quietness of heart, this demonstration of virtue through good deeds that is really, those are the things that open the doors to ministry. And, of course, that's true for women, but it is for men as well.
0: Okay, so now we get into the really fun part of this passage, okay? Verse 11, uh, or troubling, depending. Uh, woman should learn in quietness and full t- submission. Um, we've titled this section, verses 11, 12, Listen and Learn Before You Teach. Um, now, it's interesting, I just want to pause where it says, A woman should learn. Boom. Stop there, okay? Because that was very countercultural in, in a lot of places. because. Um, Often, women were viewed as not investing, it's not worth investing in them to learn at all. And we still see that in places of our world today. And Paul is saying, no, a woman should learn. It's not if, she should, but it's how she should learn. So that's the important part that he gets to in verses 11 and 12.
1: Um, This… Verse 11, to learn quietly in all submissiveness, is not a blanket prohibition against women talking in worship services. If you read all of the epistles, this becomes uh, very clear. But it is about this attitude of the learner, of this encouragement uh, to steep oneself in the apostolic teaching, to soak it in. Uh, And there are actually plenty of verses in the New Testament where um, everyone, including men, are instructed to exhibit quietness. Um, again, there are these, uh, these exhortations to men and women alike not to quarrel. Uh, keep in mind, too, that Paul himself experienced a season of quiet submission in his life. He was a big-time rabbi. He was famous for his um, persecution and for his authority, and yet when he comes to Christ, they are a little suspicious of him, actually, And he goes into a long period of training and preparation, including these mysterious three years where he is in the desert. He himself has has experienced what happens to us when we enter with silence and submissiveness uh, to the teaching of the apostles. Um, Just one word of encouragement. This is not just for new Christians. Like, only when you're in your 20s or you're a baby Christian would you ever be called to silence and submission, to learning quietly? Um, often, I think, as we're moving into a new season of ministry of fruitfulness in our lives, the Lord calls us to become learners again, mm-hmm. not to be teachers, but to become learners again, um, because this is, a, um, this is critical to the preservation of good doctrine in the church, but it is also critical um, to our to our Christ-likeness. Jesus learned in the temple. He submitted himself to Mary, and to Joseph, and to his heavenly Father. It's it's a critical part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus.
0: Verse 12, um, I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over men. She must be quiet. There's again that spirit of quietness, but a lot of the interpretation of this passage kind of hangs on one really rare Greek word. and that, the Greek word there is to assume authority, which was actually one word in the Greek, and it appears only once in the New Testament here. Four times do we find it before the New Testament, and sometimes we find it after the New Testament. So does it have a positive meaning? Does it have a neutral meaning? Does it have a negative meaning, like as in to domineer? Um, scholars differ about this. Val and I think that it it has a negative connotation, that it's, it's to domineer. And it's interesting that one of the church fathers, John Chrysostom, he uses this same Greek word to tell husbands, and a quote, he says, do not be despotic or domineer. There's that same Greek word, your wife. So both men and women are capable of being domineering. This goes, this is an equal opportunity thing for both men and women. Um, So the idea is to to not be domineering in the context of 1 Timothy 2 in particular, in this local story, is these people coming into the church and really being domineering and teaching when they haven't been properly taught, when they haven't submitted themselves and sat under apostolic authority. So verses 11 and 12 is really correcting um, more of an abuse of power and this teaching privilege. And um, so verse... um, Verses 13 to 15, we'll move to there now as well. Also have some challenging things. Let me skip ahead to verse 14, and then Val will go back to verse 13. So it says, Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. And it actually, the Greek word there, she was truly deceived. She really got duped is, is what it's saying here. So now, first of all, we've got to understand that elsewhere in Scripture, Paul talks about the fall of humanity into sin, and he's really clear, Adam sinned, and all of us fell with Adam. So keep that in mind. But so given the local context, this really makes sense, because what Paul is doing is he's saying, look, Eve was right there. She was in the garden, and she got deceived by false teaching. Um, She got deceived by false teaching in the sense of Satan in the form of a serpent So don't think that you're above getting deceived by false teaching as well. So be really careful because remember, the woman was deceived. Adam flat out sinned, okay, but Eve was deceived. So be careful when you think about trying to launch out and teaching without being properly taught.
1: A little interesting caveat there. One scholar pointed out that the commandment to not eat from the tree of good and evil was given to Adam before Eve was even created. And so this particular scholar said, where did Adam go wrong in instructing Eve that she was so easily deceived here? So again, you see this this need for a man and woman um, together in order to um, really lay hold of the truth and stay in the truth. Um, This fascinating verse, which of course so much could be said, that Adam was formed first and then Eve. There is this interesting... Thing that's being said here about firstness and secondness. I want to say just a little bit about firstness, and that is that Jesus really turns things around. You know, if you look in the ancient world, if, if you're born first, like, wow, you have a lot of privilege. And Jesus turns that upside down and says, well, the first will be last, and the last will be first. And so, though we have this sense of... Um, we could be tempted to look at this in a, in a strict kind of hierarchy. if we think of this through the lens of what Jesus teaches us about what it means to be first, there is this um, one way to read this is to say there is this responsibility for men to have caring responsibility uh, for women. so why would it what does it mean um, to to be not first to have this sense of like uh, symbolically, in the, myth, in the the mythical uh, telling of this story, uh, Eve comes out of the rib of Adam. What does it mean to come out of someone else? This sense of, like, um, not being firstness. Um, I want to suggest a couple of things um, for you. And the first is that in this um, world where Gnostic teaching, which is sort of a code word for all the false teaching, um, There's a, um, a critical sense that, that um, to be independent, to not need God, uh, to, for men and women to be the origin of their own life, to have autonomy, to not be dependent, that is like one of the main sort of unifying teachings that comes out of that Gnostic world. This is different from that. In this way, woman is contingent. Um, she has this symbolic sense of finding her life in another, of having her source in another. And so there's a way that, that she, she symbolizes this, this sense of being um, relying on, of being dependent upon her source. And, of course, this is true not only for men but for women. Um, but this special gift that we have as women, um, we feel, I think, our frailty as human beings much more keenly um, all the dangers that we have in childbirth and all of those kinds of things, our need for protection, uh, we feel much more vulnerable. But that is actually the state of every human being. Um, when we have the illusion that we are not that way, that is, that is a deception that is not true. And as women, we bring and bear witness to that. Um, and also just that God radically demonstrates that man also has need of woman. Jesus comes into the world through the womb of Mary, She cares for him through his life and his ministry. The man, Jesus, needed Mary, a woman. Hmm. Um,
0: Verse 15, one more, okay? Then we'll get to our story. So verse 15, but woman will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with propriety. So a couple different interpretations for this. one thing uh, we don't think it means, it doesn't mean that women are going to be saved through childbearing like no woman will ever die. If you trust Jesus, you will never die in childbearing. I don't think it's saying that. Um, but it's probably, we're going to give you one or two interpretations. One is, and, and again, this is kind of the local story thing, is that the Greeks really denigrated the body, um, especially the body of women. It was um, kind of, you know, bodily things were kind of gross, you know, and uh, kind of demeaning that we had to carry around these bodies. And so giving birth was an example of that. Um, so that not only deme- demeaned the childbearing process, but giving birth, women, motherhood. And uh, so one interpretation is what Paul is saying here is, no, actually, uh, childbearing is, is a beautiful thing. Childbearing. and And for many women, for many women, not all, but for many women, they will be saved from this life to the next life. They will go through that. And, and that is a, good, a noble thing and a noble calling.
1: Um, another interpretation, that, though it's not accepted by very many modern uh, biblical scholars, but one that Matt and I just found very moving, very compelling, is a, a view that's held by many patristic um, commentators on the Bible and also by uh, John Stott, a contemporary Anglican theologian. Um, There is a little article here um, that is not... You don't see it in most English translations, but if it was done um, emphasizing this article, it would sound like this. Woman will be saved through the birth of the child. Uh, John Stott says, if Mary had not given birth to the Christ child there would not have been salvation for anyone. Um, And we found that really, really compelling. Um, This idea of uh, Paul will talk about often that Jesus is um, the new Adam. Uh, Irenaeus and other early patristic fathers spoke of Eve as the new, uh, of of Mary as the new Eve. Hmm. And so there is this redeeming of man and woman um, through the incarnation.
0: Yeah, beautiful. So got the big story, got the local story, got the authoritative teaching, um, now it's our story. So uh, Val and I just felt as we were preaching or preparing this together, spent a lot of time on this together, researching it separately and then working on it together, um, we felt like the Lord really laid on our heart a specific word for women and a specific word um, for men.
1: Um, I want to begin by just um, recalling to your mind some of the women in the New Testament. Um, especially around the time of Jesus' passion, There is a, there are a series of um, moments when Jesus says, this is what's going to happen to me. I am going to suffer, I am going to die, and then I will be raised from the dead. And in each of those three revelations, his, the, the male followers, the men who are following him, say... They don't get it. In fact, they have these interesting arguments about who will be first in the kingdom of God. Right on the eve of the the, um, Last Supper, there's a fascinating um, story where a woman who is not given a name, I think you could call her the every woman, comes to the home of Simon the leper, and Jesus is gathered there with his disciples. And this woman comes, and she anoints Jesus' head. And the men around her get all upset about this. They're like, oh, we could have sold that and gave it to the poor. And he says, oh, no, she has anointed me for burial. She gets it. She sees it. It's no accident that that. And this is the one where Jesus says, anytime the gospel is proclaimed, you need to tell this story. There is this special, what sometimes is called the feminine genius that there is this special gift that we have as women to receive the teachings of Jesus, to follow him as friend, to follow him as Savior and Lord. And it's a gift that if we don't give what we have to say, if we don't give our theological insight, our understanding, our way of demonstrating our tremendous dependence upon God, if we don't give that to the church, to both men and to women, There's a way that Jesus is not fully revealed without our voice. We need um, to speak.
0: I liked your point, too, about Mary saying yes and helping the whole church. So why don't you say something like that? This is,
1: I think, so important. Um, Mary is the ultimate demonstration of this feminine genius. Um, When the angel comes to Mary and asks her for this huge gift of herself, she says, yes, Lord, be it done unto me according to your will. And I think there is a way that as, as women, we are given this gift of teaching the whole church to say yes to the Holy Spirit. When you think of Jesus as a man in his home with Mary, she helped him learn as a man to say yes to the Holy Spirit. And as women, we have a special gift, a special capacity to help the church say yes to the Holy Spirit?
0: Well, so I think there's also a male genius um, and uh, a, a, the glory of manhood. There's a lot of male bashing in our culture today, and I'm not going to give you any of that. But let me just, let me just ask you a question, I, I really want to speak to the men. So women, if you want to overhear, you know, fine, go ahead. But I really want to speak to the men. Um, and um, I just want to ask you a question as men. And that is, is there anything you need to unlearn in your view of women? Anything that you've picked up from an unhealthy church system, anything you've picked up from culture, and we can find tremendous amount of just really evil views of the feminine and women in culture and film and literature and the internet, and pornography, and all this stuff. And so is there anything you've picked up that you need to unlearn? Any res- maybe you're holding resentment against a woman in your life, um, and that has spilled over into resentment towards other women. Um, maybe you just need to learn. You want to learn to be a giver rather than a taker. Um, I think the, the most moving part of the service for me week after week is when the priest holds up the, the host representing the body of Jesus and then breaks it. His body was broken for us. And that, is a, that to me is a beautiful picture of masculinity, of manhood, that we take ourselves and we give the gift of ourselves to others. We give the gift of ourselves to men, to the world, but we give the gift of ourselves to women in our life as well. We give the gift of our body to the women in our life. So is there anything you need to unlearn and relearn? And if there is, let me just encourage you with one more short word, and that is find a model. Find a man that does this well and watch him. Watch him. Help. Let him help you unlearn and relearn. First of all, look to Jesus. I mean, he is a male, so... Um, and look to him. And how did he live his life? And how does he treat women? I, I'd also encourage you to, to look to our priests. You know, they're, they're not perfect men, but they... I can tell you, I know all of them really well. And they do this in different ways. But Father Brett, Father Kevin, Father Stephen, Bishop Stewart, they all really honor the women in their life. So just find a model and emulate them.
1: Um, A special word for you if you are a woman and you've been hurt by the church in particular, uh, told that your gifts were not allowed, that they weren't valid, they weren't valued, or maybe it came from your father, from the men that you grew up with, and you just felt like as a woman you didn't have much to say, you didn't have much to offer. Know that Jesus values you as a woman, not just as a person, but as a woman, that he has something special for you to do and to be, that if you weren't a woman, you couldn't do it, that your, your gender, the fact that you are a woman, is, is implicit to your identity, to your calling in Christ. Um, I would encourage you, if you have been hurt um, by men in your family, uh, at the work in your workplace, in the church, to ask for that grace to forgive. Sometimes it's a very horrible thing that has to be forgiven, and I would encourage you to receive prayer, to find um, that way to lay out your grief before another, to lay it out, um, and to receive prayer, and then finally, if if you are. Um, Take very seriously what it means to model, what it means to be a woman um, who, is, who is free, who is affirmed, who is blessed, who is faithful to the gifts that have been entrusted to her by God. Um, the, the, the children are watching you, both the little boys and the little girls. The teenagers are watching you, the young men and the young women. It's so important for us that we model This tender-hearted openness, um, this right kind of acknowledgement of who we are as women, that we honor men, that we love men, that we find our place in the church, and that we are faithful to God's call on our lives.
0: Thanks for listening. Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation.